What's up, horror fans? I am Anchor Pete, and I am here with my compatriots, the other two members of the Lasser cast. I got Chris right over there, also known as Future Boy Chris on Twitter. And down below us is Danny, also known as Dr. Zayas G-O-D. And guys, boy, it has been a while since we've done a show with the three of us talking about a movie together, right? Yeah, it's been a while, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am super excited because tonight, guys, we are talking about Gerald's Game the uh, 2017 Netflix released film. So uh, Gerald's Game was released in 2017 and it's based on a book by Stephen King that came out in 1992. And it stars Carla Gugino as Jesse and Bruce Greenwood as the titular Gerald. And uh, they are having marital problems, which Bruce Greenwood, Gerald believes can be fixed with a little bit of Viagra and some handcuffs. So they go take a trip to a secluded house that's in the middle of a wooded area and um you, you can kind of see the you know the tension that's there that you can obviously tell there's some problems they pass by a dog on the way and jesse feels that she should maybe try to help this dog because he looks hungry and uh gerald's not having it they get into the bedroom and it's time for the big event and gerald's got these great strong handcuffs to which he handcuffs jesse to the bed and uh when she's not into his kind of kink, they get into a little bit of an argument and that leads to Gerald having a heart attack and collapsing on top of her. And yeah. the remainder of the movie is Jesse trying to figure out how she's gonna get out of these handcuffs and dealing with her inner demons too, based on her life experience. So uh, guys, right off the bat, have either of you guys read the book of Gerald's Game? No, I actually just got it on paperback. I went on eBay and hunted down like a first run uh, paperback of it after, right after I had finished Revival. Because uh, oddly enough, I just, oh, Dana's got the hardcover. Oh, very nice. Right there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I didn't read the book either. Uh, I've been reading uh, all summer and fall. I've been reading, reading Stephen King through Audible uh, while I run. Uh, I'm about five chapters into Needful Things now, but I have not read Gerald's Game. I did, though, it, uh, after I saw this movie, uh, and we'll talk about the ending later, but I actually did read the last 10 pages of the book just to see if the ending of the book mm. and the ending of the movie are similar, and they are. Uh -huh. So we won't, I won't spoil it yet, of course. We'll talk about it later, but yes. the, the ending of the book is pretty dead on to the ending of the movie. Okay. So. That's good to know. I actually really, really want to talk about the ending of this movie. That's real important for me. Um, so my question, without going off on a, on a tangent, because they also say bag of bones and they say Cujo, it yeah. is the kind of the the element, the thriller element, this, this one character that we're going to discuss in detail. Is he the main character of bag of bones or is he in bag of bones? I, I don't think so no i i didn't i didn't read bones but i don't think so i think that was kind of just like a name drop thing kind of like the cujo line was kind yeah. of like a a throwaway wink nod to stephen king fans gotcha like there's good there's good ways to do that like in this movie when there's a dog uh and you just refer to him as cujo which has become part of the lexicon and then there's the god-awful dark tower movie which literally just throws out Stephen King references at you <laughs> where it's like, Oh look, I'm playing with a toy car that is Christine. And then there's two twins that are the shining sisters. And you're just like, all right, it's enough. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the Bag of Bones reference was just like uh, a throwaway kind of wink nod. There's a few more of those. I was like trying to jot them down. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's a scene in the flashback where um, Jesse's father says, maybe we should take our medicine, which mm-hmm. is which is a line almost word for word from The Shining. Right. Uh, with Jack say, you know, Danny, you have to take your medicine now. And then, you know, that, or Wendy. So there's a lot of stuff going on like that in this movie. And you can tell there's obviously a very close bond uh, between King and Flanagan. As, yes. you know, Flanagan's now adapted Dr. Sleep and he's going to be doing revival. So, you know, they, he obviously is incorporating a lot of his fandom into these because he co-wrote the script also. So these aren't just like accidental things, of course. Of course, yeah. So you know what? Before we get into the nitty gritty King stuff, why don't we talk about the acting, right? Because essentially oh. it's really all on the shoulders of Carlo Gugino and Bruce Greenwood, right? I, I reviewed this movie for Geeks of Doom um, when it came out back in 2017. Yeah. And I... I said it then, I wrote it in my review, and I stand by it. Um, Both of them, Carlo Gugino and Bruce Greenwood, should have gotten Oscar nominations. Uh, Carlo Gugino probably should have won an Oscar. I mean, she literally carries this movie uh, from beginning to end. Like, she's on screen almost the entire movie, with the exception of the flashback sequences. Like... She, she, the movie's an hour and 40 minutes. She's got to be on screen for an hour and 30 minutes of the movie. At least, yeah. And, yeah. and just her, her facial expressions, uh, she's, they're, they're playing dual roles because there's, there's stuff going on in, in Carl Gugino, in Jesse's mind. So, yeah, I, I'm, this is the third time I've watched the film from beginning to end. And every time I've watched it, I'm just, continuously blown away by the two of them, but specifically Carl Gugino yeah. for her performance. And, and Chris, what about you? Like, are you, are you a fan of Bruce Greenwood to begin with? I am. I yeah, Oddly enough, I became a huge fan of Bruce Greenwood from a very small role of his. I mean, I had seen him in things like iRobot and, and whatnot, and I he had such a small role in Star Trek 2009 as Admiral Pike, I thought he was terrific. And this has to be said here, maybe a hot take, next to Kevin Conroy, my favorite Batman voice ever. Yeah. His Batman in Under the Red Hood is, I put him right up there with Kevin Conroy. I wish he had played the character more. That's how much I love Greenwood as Batman. But uh, Bruce Greenwood was actually a Stephen King recommendation for this film. Oh, okay. Well, being that none of us read the book, I have to assume that King thought of Greenwood when he thought of Gerald, which is very interesting. And I've never seen Bruce Greenwood chew up scenery like he does in the film. Yeah. So, he's having so much goddamn fun. It's ridiculous. That the whole like, well, you just lost your mind. Like it's so it's so good. Well, him and uh he he played uh one of the best on-screen versions of JFK that I've ever seen in a movie called 13 Days. Oh, yes. And That's right. He was excellent in that movie. And I don't know, Stephen King, of course, is from New England, from Maine. Maybe he saw him play JFK from Massachusetts and was like, ah, oh, there's a good New England boy. And just, uh, 
That was my really tech. So I'm, li- I'm, I'm listening to Needful Things on Audible and Stephen King is reading the book. Okay. So I feel like I, I just am going to start speaking in Maine uh, it, the, the longer I, I keep listening to it. But yeah, uh, I, I thought Greenwood was absolutely great in this movie. It's like the two of them. The, I, I wrote down th- this movie could have been a, a state and it still can be a stage play. Oh, yes. Like because yes. it, it's literally it's it's effectively one set, it's effectively two characters, and I would just I would pay lots and lots of money to see this on a stage. Yeah, and I I think it would make such a, a, a cool experience. Yes, like in a theater. And even Carla Gugino, I mean, her performance in this. What do what do you even say? Nothing even needs to be said. She's that good. I'd love for anyone to even attempt to dispute that she is not phenomenal in this film. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah, absolutely. I, I have no critiques of either of their performances. I actually was very curious if either of you guys had read the book because I know that they said that this book was unfilmable. And I feel like they maybe made the imagined versions of their characters like for this movie. Whereas maybe in the book, it's a lot of just Jesse's thought process. And, and so I really like that idea of like, that there's multiple voices and, and they're talking, essentially like Gerald is like the devil on her shoulder and uh, her own self is the angel on her shoulder, you know? Yeah. And um, it, it's interesting because even though it seems like he's trying to sabotage her, he also is helping her in different ways too. You know? Yeah, like the, the film. The film has all these elements that, for years, it made it uh, to you know executives in Hollywood uh, unfilmable. Yeah. This notoriously tried to get made. Mick Garris tried to make this for years. People have tried. There have been so many Gerald's Game scripts. This has tried to get made for years. And really, the only reason it got made, I mean, leading up to it, Stephen King had tweeted about Hush. He had tweeted about Oculus. So when Netflix approached Mike Flanagan, they're like, what do you, they're like, we need films on this service. What do you want to do? He's like, I want to do Gerald's Game. And they were like, okay. Like people had tried for years to get this made and simply because Netflix wanted content. (laughs) I'm going to throw it out there and see if they bite. And they did. There had been so many scripts for Gerald's Game that Flanagan actually (laughs) had a conversation with a different leading actress for a month and a half, and they were both looking at two different scripts. Her agency sent her the wrong script. So Flanagan and this actress are going back and forth on the phone, and they're just thinking the other is acting odd about what they're reading the script. And he's thinking, she's interpreting this very Very oddly. And after a month and a half, he finally says to her, he's like, do me a favor, flip to the front of the script and tell me, uh, who this is written by, and she read a completely different name. He's like, yeah, that's not mine. So I'm going to say, he's like, hold on, I'm going to send you my script right now. I don't know how this happened. So uh, he sends her his script, and she's like, this isn't at all what I signed up for. And he's like, well, this is the movie we're making. So uh, Carl Gugino wasn't even the first choice. So thank God this massive screw-up happened, or yeah. else we would never have gotten Carl Gugino. And, and, you know, getting back to what I was saying before, just with like the, how I, I still don't know how she didn't get nominated. This was 2017. A year after this, I think, was the year 
where like Roma came out and Roma was a Netflix movie that garnered a, a whole bunch of Oscar nominations. And it was like, the, that was the movie that broke through the glass ceiling of like streaming services, getting Oscar nominations. Right. So I feel like maybe had this movie come out just a year later on Netflix, she would have gotten a nomination but they were still probably in 2017 were like, oh, well, it's just a Netflix movie, so it doesn't count. To, yeah. Because that was like a big controversy with, um, it, it still is, where like, you know, like Spielberg has chimed in on it about how he doesn't feel streaming films, like there needs to be a theatrical element in order to get Oscar nominations. Yeah. So uh, I feel like she might have not got gotten overlooked because of that. But yeah, just... And I, I heard that story Chris said, and it blew my mind when I heard it the first time, and it, it's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And and so uh, besides Bruce Greenwood and uh, Carlo Gugino, we also have Henry Thomas, who we've mentioned already. And uh, Henry Thomas, I didn't know what to expect from his character because I hadn't read the book. I didn't really know a lot about this story besides that she's trapped in this position. But I usually am used to Henry Thomas being this innocent person, this like, you know, lovable, likable guy. And in this movie, his scene that he's in, or like his scene oh. he's in, it's almost the most disturbing thing in the whole movie. And, and Oh, yeah. And, oh. and there is like two other things in this movie that are really, really disturbing too. But I, I, I think that the scene with him talking to his daughter might actually be the worst part of the movie. You know, it, it actually makes me a little sick. Like, that's how effective it is. Yeah. It makes me a little sick every time I see it. And yeah. you can't help but sit there and think how it's a testament to how great of an actor, how underrated of an actor he is to sit there and go, I can't even imagine the headspace you have to put yourself in to do something so unimaginable, so unthinkable. Right. So, so let's, let's, let's break down these, these scenes. Cause there, there's essentially, there's three parts I think are like really, really disturbing. Right. So, so we've, we've been talking about Flanagan now for a few episodes and we've been talking about what he puts in his movies and you guys, we were talking about gore a few times at the very end. There's one of the most grotesque gore moments in a movie that I've seen. We'll get to that. But then there's the scene with Henry Thomas that we're talking about. And then, of course, there's the scene with the dog, too, which kind of is throughout the movie. So just yeah. to kind of for people that haven't seen the movie, um, you should watch it. It's on Netflix and it's fucking quick to watch. Um, the, the dog that I mentioned before, he comes in to their house because they left the door open and he finds the corpse of Gerald on the floor. And over the course of the movie, he takes a few bites of Gerald. And he, he doesn't like take a bite and leave. He sits in the corner and like chews the meat up. So that all of a sudden has elevated this beyond other Mike Flanagan movies that I've seen. I know that like there's some brutal stuff in Hush, but to me, this one was the most graphic. Would you guys agree or no? I, I, wrote, I wrote at the top of my paper the, the word unsettling. And then I just underlined it four times. There's so much of this movie that it... If you, if you, like for a movie where nothing really happens, it, it is so gross. And there's so many scenes where if you have a weak stomach, you're, and, and like just the sound design of like 
where like you 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 just hear the dog chewing and ripping, and you're just like, ah, yeah. yep. Yep. And like you, like he walks away, and then he's got like a piece of flesh in his mouth, and you're just like, Bleh. there's yeah. so many scenes like that where, like Chris said, with the other scene uh, with Henry Thomas, you you just you feel gross and uncomfortable. But then there's other scenes where you're like really nauseated yes. from what you're watching. Yeah. So uh, that definitely is one of them for me. Yeah. Can we, can we agree that this might be? One of the most fun, or at least I have to say, I have never had more fun in my life recommending this. Is one of the, this is a fun movie, not a fun movie. It's <laughs> it's it's fun to recommend this to people because you could so easily sell them on it. It's like husband and wife go out to a house by the lake. They want to spice things up. He gets changed. She gets handcuffed to the bed. He dies of a massive heart attack. There is no one around. The front door is wide open, and there might be someone in the house right there like 15 seconds people are sold and then that's when i usually slip in the by the way there's a few scenes <laughs> if you're like you know i i'd be forewarned and they're like oh, oh how bad i'm like it's believe me like yeah the uh, there is this we'll get to the scene but i'm i've seen this four or five times okay at this point i jumped off the couch last night and i went no like, I was just like, 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 I still am not used to it. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> no. It's still just like, you, you'll never, you'll never get used to it. Well, well, what I'll say is that right off the bat, like, I knew that he was going to have a heart attack because I know the plot of the movie at least. And yeah. the way that his heart attack is filmed and, and the anticipation for it, that in itself is really hard to watch. Those, you know, muscle, and, and, those muscles deserved an award. All <laughs> uh, like the like the, the pectoral going to the, I'm like, that shoulder deserves a nomination. Yeah. Because man, he's he's so fucking good in this. Yeah. Yeah, his face too. Like his his face can like gets contorted too at one point. When he's, when he's working his arm out and you're like, what's going like what's up with the oh shit, and you're putting two and two together? Yeah. 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 yeah, and he just falls with that thud onto the ground too. Oh man, the blood starts to seep out. And, and that oh. happens. I, I, I paused it. That happens exactly 15 minutes into the movie. Wow. So like if you take in opening credits, it's like like fi 10 to 15 minutes in, he's dead on the floor. And now you have over an hour and 20 minutes left in this movie. And you're like, oh, well, okay. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. And like, I guess like, again, like if you're a film, if you're an executive and you're like, oh, it's so wait a minute, there's, there's, there's two actors. One of them is dead 15 minutes into the movie. And so she's chained to the bed and how much time is left? <laughs> and, and like, like you could see where people would be skittish. Uh, producers would be skittish about filming this because it doesn't sound like it's going to be a movie that you'd go back like, and watch three, four, five times. Yeah. And recommend to people, uh, it, but it is. It's just, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the disturbing stuff. It is off-putting, but it, it is woven into the Jesse's story so well. You know, because this isn't just a story of a woman that's involved in a freak accident. First of all, she has these issues with her husband, that, that these intimacy issues based on their marriage and the way that he's treated her. But then we find out that 
her relationship with her husband might be influenced by this traumatic experience that she had with her father. And her father's played by Henry Thomas. And just for people who haven't seen the movie, there's a few flashback scenes because early on in the movie, when uh, Jesse's talking to herself, Jesse makes this one line where she says, he's not the first one to have chained you or something like that, or he didn't put the shackles on you. And she's referring to Jesse's father. So um, Jesse's father, we see, he has some issues where um, Kate Siegel, who you know we know from multiple other Flanagan projects, she plays her mom, and Kate Siegel is kind of alluding to the fact that there's like a, a she's a daddy's girl and that something's going on there. So there's an eclipse when she's about what like 12 years old, right? Around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's an eclipse, and they're sitting on this bench, and they're watching the eclipse. Henry Thomas and and uh, Jesse. And he, he's alluding to the fact that, that she used to be his little girl that would sit on his lap. And then she goes and he, and he says, you know, maybe you could sit on my lap again. And she sits on his lap and they're watching the eclipse and it's in this red light. And then we see that he is, you know, touching himself with his daughter on his lap. And as someone that has two daughters, that was, that was pretty fucking horrible to watch, I gotta say, you know? Uh, Danny, I know you have a young daughter too. Like, what, what does that seem yeah. for you? No, it, it like it's just it, in a movie where there's a flesh ripping dog and there's another scene which we'll talk about. That is the scene that stands out as the most disturbing. It is, and it's, and again, like I guess it definitely is amplified by the fact that you know we have our oldest daughter. Well, my my only daughter, your oldest daughter, are about the same age, fully quickly approaching the age of Jesse uh, in that scene. And yeah, it's, it's just, there's, yeah, there's no other, it's just like, I, it feels gross talking about it. And it's like, we're, we're getting together just to talk about a movie. And it's like, can we not do this part? Like, <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's awful. And it, and one of the things that I, I really love is, so uh, Gerald, after he has his heart attack, um, Jesse is now chained to the bed and she very quickly starts to uh, hallucinate and uh, get dehydrated and she sees Gerald sits up and at first you're thinking, oh my God, he's alive. Then you realize, oh wait, no, she's just imagining him. And she also envisions another one, like a a second Jesse uh, in the room with her and they're, they're talking they're like, you know, you, you said the devil and the angel on her shoulder kind of thing, trying to help her figure out a way to get out of this situation. Um, and she is, uh, Bruce Greenwood, Gerald is, he has no idea of any of this. Like she, this, this affected her so much that she never told her husband any of this, like nothing about her past. Like he constantly is giving her like confused looks like, wait, he did what? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and it, like, it, it really shows that it, it like, it affected her so much. And like, we won't talk about the ending, but there's a, something I want to come back to later uh, that, that ties back to, I feel the ending of the film also. Sure. Uh, that's, that, that connects back to that, that whole scene that we're talking about, but yeah. 
Yeah. I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we can move on. We can go from this. The one last thing I wanted to say, though, is that there's the scene where he molests his daughter, and then there's this follow-up conversation where, where he, the father basically just wants to kind of cover this up. He wants to bury it. And the the dialogue is written in such a way that that he's guiding her. He's, like, leading her along. And, and you guys quite often talk about the performances that Flanagan's able to get from people and what a great job he does casting women and what a great job he does casting children. Oh, and yeah. so the, the little girl in this movie, she does a phenomenal job. Like just yeah. watching her face as he's manipulating her makes that scene a hundred times more effective. You know? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote her name down, Shiara Aurelia. I think yeah. that's how, I don't know how you pronounce her first name, but she, yeah, she was great i mean a couple scenes in this movie and again yeah you just the, the raw emotion on her face and there's a great scene where uh henry thomas is sitting on the bed and he's talking to her looking directly at her but uh uh what's her name carla gugino is there in in like she's remembering it so she's standing there and she's remembering he only Every time he was looking at her, he was he was telling her lies. Yes. And then, and then and then when he finally told the truth, or when he, he he couldn't look at her in the face anymore, he was like, I don't know why I did that. I I, I don't know what what happened. He couldn't stare at her anymore. Yep. But then when he was trying to come up with the lies about you know should we tell mommy like almost guilting her, he was like victim you know turning making the victim feel like it was her fault and yeah. mommy already he even goes so far as to say like mommy already doesn't really like you so she would just hate you now <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. By, by, by the end of that scene after you know you have these fantastic scenes where uh the the you know her, her jesse's fear and doubt mani uh, manifesting as gerald and her defense mechanism uh, manifesting as another version of herself. All the fantastic dialogue there, this unreal monologue from Henry Thomas in the bedroom with the 12-year-old version of Jesse. I sat there and went, I'm like, along with, uh, was corroded with Jeff Howard, I believe this is one of Flanagan's best written films. I believe this is one of easily one of the best written films. Yes. It's just one of those, like, I'm such a huge fan of films that take place in one location for the most part, yeah. and it leaves you nothing but the acting, nothing but the writing, and it all stands up, you know, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 here. Yeah, absolutely, very good point. Yeah, I find, I find that a lot of times uh, a criticism of movies like this is, well, nothing really happens. And like, I, I guess it goes down to, it boils down to what do you, what is your favorite aspect of the movie watching experience? And for me, being that my favorite director of all time is Quentin Tarantino, it should come as no surprise that dialogue and acting for me come before, you know, action and crazy stuff. And if you give me a movie where it's just really well-written characters engaging in well-written dialogue, that's, that's it for me. Like, I think we mentioned the last time we spoke, uh, there's this great movie on... Uh, on Shutter called Scare Me. And somebody, uh, I read a critique of it was like, it's just two people in a cabin talking for 90 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, that that's that was the point of the movie. That that's mm. what it's about. And yeah. that's why it's great. And like I 
I could again, I could see where somebody would, you know, kind of not be into that style of movie because you want things to happen. But if you like dialogue and, and just great acting, this is definitely um, the, the movie for you. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be curious to know if, uh, if he smelled the blood and did what dogs do. If that's from King. Hey, Charlotte. Yeah. Please don't sit on daddy's lap right now, okay? No, no. no. <laughs> Get out of here. Segway, segway. I'm not going to lie, Danny. In that moment, though, I did want to hug Charlotte because of how <laughs> this movie just fucking wrecks me every time I watch it. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, I love that line so much. And I wonder if I, I should have looked to see. I'm, I wonder if that's out of the novel. If not, that's a that's if that's an original line from Flanagan, that's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, so that okay, so is it from the novel or is it not? That's the thing, right? Is that there are times when people say things in Stephen King movies, and I'm like, that's Stephen King. That's like so Stephen King. And there's this one scene in Doctor Sleep too, when uh I always forget forget her fucking first name, but the hat. What Maggie the Rose, hat? Rose the hat. Rose the hat. You know, when she's like <laughs> floating over the city, or whatever, and like that. I'm like, that's fucking Stephen King. That's like so Stephen King, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But so in this movie though, there's references to the Dark Tower, and then there's all this shit with this man, the Moonlight Man, right? And I'm like, okay, that's about as Stephen King as you can get. And the, the fact of the matter is, and, and we kind of segue this, because we keep saying we're not gonna talk about the ending, but I feel like that's something that we, I really wanna unpack with you guys. The Moonlight Man, for most of the movie, you think is this manifestation in Jesse's mind. Spoilers for the movie. By the very end, it's revealed that he is a real person. Now, the description of him at the very end of the movie I feel like that's one of the most Stephen King things you could think of. That it talks about how he like started out and he started like messing around with corpses, then eventually he started to kill people. Like just even the guy's fucking real name is like such a Stephen King name, right? Raymond Andrew Jobert, right? Oh, Jobert, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. So I've been listening. I've been listening to so much King the last few months, and he, the, I think his greatest attribute is his ability to just describe the mundane yep. and make it a, like mm -hmm. like Salem's lot the the, the Marston house uh it, it, the shining the way like every room and every aspect of the overlook it, it's it, the way he describes things and yeah the you you hear her describe the moonlight man. And, and like go through everything about him in this like monologue at the end. And it's, yeah, uh, it, it's very similar to how he was written in the book too. So that, that is, yeah. And that's Lurch. That's Lurch. That's right. Well, Lurch, Men in Black, Dr. Sleep. Right, exactly. Yeah. Dr. Sleep, yeah, yeah. Flanagan has these people he just keeps using over yeah. and over again, right? You know, oh, yeah. the Mike Flanagan. You hear on the radio, like someone's been breaking into houses. It's a very subtle thing you hear on the radio when they're driving. And then, you know, she he's he's grabs her by the hand and they're walking towards the bedroom and she looks back and sees that the door's open and says, well, screw it, no one's, no one's around, leave the door open. So you're like, hmm, people breaking in, hmm, door's open. Okay, but you really don't know the way they present him in the film, and you know she's hallucinating. 
you really don't know. And what you are seeing of him is so monstrous looking. Yes. You know, I love the way that's played throughout the film until it's ready to be revealed to you. Yes. Yeah, and so let's talk about those actual scenes, right? Because Knight comes at least twice in this movie, and in both times, to me, it's like the most fucking terrifying thing I could think of. I'm bound to a bed in a house. The door is open to the woods, you know? And I am by myself, and there's the lights are off. That, that's like the scariest fucking scenario I could think of. And so <laughs> there's a man in the house, and he's got glowing fucking red eyes, right? <laughs> And, um, you know, so you're like, okay, well, she made that up. And that sounds like a Stephen King thing. He even has like a purse that has all kind of weird shit in it. But um, probably the, the thing that scared me the most was when she's having that dream as a child or she's having a flashback and then he's licking her fucking foot, right? Oh, the- I, was just, I wanted to say, Pete, please tell me how Shari felt about, about uh, foot kisses, little foot kisses. <laughs> yeah. it for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. She she um she she liked the movie. We we both kind of have issues at the end, right? But I'm a much bigger wuss than Sherry. So last night when I'm taking my fucking when I'm in bed, I wake up at three in the morning and there he is in the corner. The moonlight man is there, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm dead. What's yeah, that? It's okay. Tony Collette's been living on the ceiling of my room since I saw Hereditary. So right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I I will I. I said this before, there's something really, really encouraging and really nice about living on a sixth floor uh, apartment building where nobody's coming in my house. And no matter what I see, like, I just, I, I, I've, I've grown so comfortable living in, in the city that like rural and suburban life does scare the hell out of me for those reasons. Like every time I've ever slept at somebody's house, in the sticks it like there's there's dark there's it it gets dark outside and then there's suburban and rural dark yep and that is that 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 terrifies me so yeah like i that that just adds to this movie also where it's like you know the first time when you see the first time you see the moonlight man she she wakes up and she pans the room and the camera doesn't even stop. Like if, and, and you might even miss him in the, like the corner. And then she suddenly looks again and he just kind of like leans out ever so slightly so that you could see like the weird misshapen head and, and his hands. It's so disturbing. Oh man. Yeah. So it's so good though. And like they, and that's where Bruce Greenwood and Carlo Gugino as like uh, the two angel and devils walking around the room in her mind. They're 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 not even like they're messing with her. Like Bruce Greenwood's like, well, that looks like a bloody footprint. I think he was real. I don't think you're imagining this. Yeah. I think he's gonna come back and uh, and eat you later. And, and and you're like, well, now he's just now he's just re- so now I know it's fake. Because now the ghost of, of Gerald is messing with her. Right. So, but you know, it's, it leaves you guessing, which makes it even better. Yes. So um, the, the tension then becomes she has to get out of there because he embodies death, right? So it's like she has to get out of there because when he comes back for the last night, she thinks he's going to kill her and she's going to die in a horrible way. 
And Bruce Greenwood has this great little monologue where he talks about how bad it's going to be when she dies, which leads Jesse to do probably the visually the worst thing in the movie. So she breaks this, um, you know, uh, Gerald needs to drink some water with his Viagra, gives him cotton mouth. And so he put the glass right above her on the shelf on the bed and she's able to get the glass and break it in her hand. And then what does she do next, Chris? You want to describe it for us? She, I mean, at this point I'd seen it, I've seen this, you know, four or five times. So I said out loud, she breaks the glass, she takes a piece and wedges it in a notch in the bookshelf. And I went, here we go. <laughs> like myself up. And I had said to Danny earlier today, I mean, this goes from, she makes a tea in her hand. So then she makes the tea across the wrist, up the palm. You know where this is going, right? And I said to Danny earlier today, I'm like, this goes from gruesome to borderline Frank from Hellraiser. Because at one point, right before she gets her hand fully through this handcuff, you see bone, mu muscle. To, I like I said, I like I said earlier in this episode, I jumped up and was like, no. I'm screaming. My girlfriend's in the bedroom and she's like, it's happening, isn't it? It's happening. Like she, she knows what's going on because I'm off the couch now in the kitchen yelling. It's something that I don't think you ever get used to seeing. And it's the brilliance of Flanagan and the brilliance of Carlo Gugino's performance and the brilliance of the practical effects work. Those combinations, how this is set up, it's so effective because you don't think you're going to see anything like that in this kind of film you yeah. never see it coming never i just need to add this because just so that you know i'm i'm like my how i genuinely feel about this scene i i'm, I'm a horror movie fan of course I, i've seen some real nasty shit in movies the only time i ever got nauseous to the point of having to leave a movie theater and almost throwing up was 127 hours. Oh yeah, yeah. During yeah. that scene. Yeah. So, so I don't do well with hand and arm damage. Yeah. And yeah. Oh my God. That, like Chris said, the the practical effects, it really does. Like it looks like, uh, you know, what what uh, in, in Hellraiser, what we look like without our skin on, and that, that they do an amazing job of making. Her hand look like that it's just yeah. Ugh, I'm, yeah so and then that leads to where i feel like i, I hope I, this doesn't end our podcast together i hope it doesn't end our friendships but it feels like it leads to what i think it, it the movie kind of drops off because that sequence for me is so horrible and disturbing and i love the movie up until she gets out of the house and that's great too she drives her car and, and she's like passing out because she just fucking cut herself open. And then she crashes into a tree and people come and find her with flashlights. And I kind of wish the movie ended right there. And I, I know we probably have some tension because of the way I feel Hill House yeah. has ended. But I, I was like, oh, this movie's so good. And then the, the little coda at the end really bothered me. Yeah. And so I, I kind of wanted to hear what you guys thought about the coda at the end. So, I mean... That, that is the reason that I went and picked up the book because it is, it, it's jarring. 
it, it, it is a jarring because it's a complete deviation in almost every way from, I mean, you have this movie that is essentially in one location, it, not even one location. It's in effectively the, the bedroom of this house. And then all of a sudden, after an hour and 20 minutes of that, you have these final 15 minutes where Carlo Gugino is giving this like monologue, uh, uh, writing a letter to her younger self. Um, and it, and, and then of course we meet, uh, uh, Raymond, is that, you said his name, I forgot, Raymond Jobert? Oh, uh, yes, Raymond Jobert, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wrote down Moonlight Man on my, yeah. but, uh, and you find out that yes, he was real, yes, he was this corpse uh, defiling serial killer, uh, you know, who collected the tokens from like graves and he ends up on trial and she shows up to the courtroom and it's just this bizarrely, uh, you know, out of nowhere ending. Yeah, and yeah. So so it made me want to like just like I, I at first I kind of just peeked to like the last chapter and was like, OK, I just got to see if that. And then once I saw that it was in the book and what I what I like about the ending is. Uh, since we're talking about it. Uh, not not spoiling it anymore. There's this scene, and, and this is what does it for me, and why I like it, um, is as she approaches him in the courtroom. He takes you have this gigantic, monstrous-looking man, uh, and suddenly he takes the shape of her father, and Henry Thomas is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then and then she blinks, and it's Bruce Greenwood. It's Gerald, her husband. Um, who, and, and then of course it goes back to the Moonlight Man and I, I feel like that is necessary for her character to finally kind of break, quote unquote, you know, no pun intended, break the chains that these men have had over her life. Because the way that um, epilogue kind of starts is with her moving on with her insurance money and bettering her life, but she can't sleep at night because she has nightmares of the Moonlight Man. Right. So she, she's kind of, and, and she, she works at a, a shelter where she talks to uh, abused children. So she's putting to rest the ghost of her father. She's putting to rest the ghost of Gerald. And then that's like the final nail in the coffin, putting the, to rest the, uh, the, the, the ghost of the of the moonlight man and now she can finally go and you know i think the last line of the movie is and then i slept well that night and i, I to me yes it was jarring certainly the first time i i saw it but the more i watch it the more i like it because i think it brings a really nice closure to her character so yeah. that but no, it's to, definitely it's definitely jarring. To yeah. to to stand before to, for her to stand before an actual monster and see her father, see her husband, and to go, you're so much smaller than I remember. Yeah. It really what I don't want to say saves it for me, but makes me go, 
I get it. Now I get it. Because the whole thing is very, it's very dreamlike in a way. When she yes. leaves that forum, she walks out into the street and walks like dead center down the middle of the yeah. street. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's very, it's, it's weird. It's almost like, and that courtroom is not some, it's not some grand courtroom. One, one like little thing I appreciate about it, I'm like, oh, that's like, if you've ever taken a field trip to like a, like a, you're like, you're like a court center, like that's what like a courtroom looks like. It's not fancy. It's not some grand, like that's like a normal size courtroom. Yeah. Uh, you know, now the audience is like, why does Crystal want a courtroom? Looks like? <laughs> but on, you know, so I, I do get it. But listen, I'll be the first to say that sometimes things, you know, right off the pages don't translate well. To screen, it's the reason you know odd example, but it's the reason Zack Snyder, you know, changed elements about Watchmen ten years right. ago. Right. Just weren't willing to see a giant squid on screen. They just right. weren't ready for it, you know. But I, I, I completely understand how this does not work for a non-King reader or for a general audience. A hundred percent get it, but also personally. I love any time a true crime element is thrown into something. Mm. I loved when they did it. It's one of the reasons why I love Insidious Chapter 2 so much, because they take all the spooky shit from the first one, and then they add a true crime element to it and make it even more fun. Because for like for like 15 seconds, this movie feels like seven. And then it, you go into uh, like this courtroom drama. It's very, like Danny said, it's a very jarring ending. Yeah. And I get the complaints. And when someone tells me they don't like it, I 100% understand it. I like the ending, though. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. It, for some reason, it reminded me of the end of Matrix Revolutions. Like, his, <laughs> <laughs> you know how, like, all of the Matrix is, like, it's, like, this gray, dark, green thing. And then all of a sudden, the sky is very bright. That's what it felt like when yeah. she, it's all bright. And I, I understand, like, thematically, that's the, that's the point, right? It's that she, she, her life has changed, right? She's been able to get past this thing that's traumatized her her whole life. Um, I, I like that. I just, like, cause she kind of puts on her glasses and she like looks right at the camera. It's like, just like a little too much for me. But the thing is though, is that I still love the movie. And um, I, I love Flanagan in general. Like, I know I kind of had a critique about Hill House and about this, but in the end, it's such a good experience throughout and, and consistently through all these movies. And we say this over and over again to where it's like a broken record. It, it's so much about what happens to people and you can take the horror element out. And oh, yeah. this could just be, you could not have the Moonlight Man at all. And it could just be that she's chained to a bed and she's going through this whole thought process and she gets over her father's situation. You know, the Moonlight Man just kind of serves as like a, a thing to, to put her catharsis onto, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I still like the movie a lot, you know, and, and so, it makes me wonder, because Danny, you said that you ranked Gerald's Game as your favorite Flanagan film, right? Or is it Doctor uh, Sleep? It, it, it's, it's up there. Um, I Doctor Sleep, to me, is, I, I, I guess I would call that his magnum opus. But uh, Gerald's Game is probably number two. Uh, just because, like, things we've said already, just the, the simplicity of the story, the setting... Uh, just the idea of just these two actors acting off of each other for almost 90 full minutes and, and all the, the, the like the, the way this movie makes you feel like it, you, you are feeling something like legitimate in your body at every moment. You're either feeling 
disgust, queasy, unsettling. Like it, there's there's never a moment it looks scared. You're you're there's never a moment in this movie where you're just like, oh, all right, yeah, this is fun. No, it, there's not nothing in this movie is fun. Like even like the opening scene of the movie, they're driving in the car, and like he like puts his hand on her leg, and she very obviously doesn't want his hand there and like grabs his hand and then casually like holds it and like you know i'm married i i've i've put my hand on my wife's leg and she's shoved me away like i know how that feels it's like it, that's like oh like she's like all right like you just feel things <laughs> she, gave, she gave him the old Melania. That's what she did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, it, I Doctor Sleep honestly had moved into my number one, but I gotta say this, this just the writing, the actors chewing up scenery, the single location. This is still my number one Flanagan film. Whoa. Okay. I love. I get so much. Enjoyment. I don't get enjoyment out of the things that are not to be enjoyed in this, but I just get so much enjoyment out of the entire experience. It's like, it's like what it has elements that draw me to film. Reasons yeah. that I am a film fan. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, for my personal ranking, I would actually kind of have it lower on the list. Um, I I have Doctor Sleep as my number one, which sounds like we're all kind of in agreement, or like it it's, should be almost number one, right? And then I have like Hush, and then I have um, uh, Absentia, and then Gerald's Game for me. And then uh, I have Oculus under that. And that doesn't mean the Oculus is bad either. It's just that, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so like, there's just parts like, cause uh, if, if the ending was different from Gerald's Game, it would be higher. It would probably be, maybe higher than hush you know for me so oh, wait, by, the, by the way we can't forget easter eggs the moonlight man did not show up to kill her he came because he's in a book club and he wanted to talk to her about midnight mass so okay midnight mass, let me man. let me let me ask you guys because i watched this today and i tweeted this out this afternoon after i noticed it and this is this is a total um uh, conspiracy theory on my part. So you you tell me if I'm crazy, because it has to do with Midnight Mass that Chris just brought up. I think that, uh, and I know obviously that this is uh, a Stephen King book. These are Stephen King characters, but we also know that Mike Flanagan loves Stephen King, has adopted two and eventually three, maybe even more of his works. Uh, and we know that Mike Flanagan has his own uh, cinematic universe full of these little Easter eggs. Yeah. So here's my, here's my theory. My theory is, and this is crazy, that Jesse is the older sister of Maddie from Hush. Oh. And, and, and I'll explain. In her, in her flashback, she, she says... Uh, that I couldn't let this happen. I couldn't tell anybody. And I had to like watch over my father to make sure he didn't do this to Maddie. So obviously one of her younger sister's names, because her her mother, who's played by Kate Siegel, yeah. her mother is pregnant, plus 
she has two two other siblings who I think are younger than her or maybe older. They're they're close in age to her. Yeah. And then the mom is pregnant. She says I couldn't let him do this to Maddie. Maddie is Kate Siegel's name in Hush. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Um, she has a copy of Midnight Mass. Right. Maybe she has that copy. Maybe she has that book because it's her sister's book. It seems to just be laying around on the the, the, the bookshelf kind of, uh, you know, of, of the bed. It, maybe it was there to begin with. So maybe she just has a copy of it laying around. Yeah. Um, in, in they're, they're also... If you if you think about the ages of the characters, the flashback goes back probably it the flashback when they're kids in this movie, there's room for you to think that Kate Siegel could be, you know, Carla Gugina's younger sister. Yeah. And it would also explain why uh Maddie looks so much like her mother, oh, being that yeah, Kate yeah. Siegel. Yeah. Dang, man. That's awesome. I, I I know that this is just me stretching like crazy, but it's one thing that she has, she says in Gerald's game, I had to make sure he didn't do this to Maddie. I rewound it and watched it again just to make sure I heard that. Yeah. And, you know, in, in Hush, uh, Maddie has the one sister that we know about. Right. That she talks to, but that doesn't, mean that she doesn't have other like Carla Gugino's character in this movie uh her character of Jesse like they make allusions that she's kind of thrown away her entire life to be yeah. with Gerald yeah so maybe maybe she doesn't have a, a relationship with the rest of her siblings uh so this is just me trying to build a Mike Flanagan extended universe dude and, I love it though I love it absolutely yeah. Yeah, you yeah. also you also can't leave out the last big Easter egg, our namesake. Oh, then last the yeah. the lasser glass without the glass, just the right. frame, yeah. is disconnected and broken down and turned into the headboard that Carla Gugino was handcuffed to yeah. the entire film. Yeah, yeah. I remember I saw that. I, I was like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where I was like, oh, there's it's the yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, gentlemen, I think uh, I'm going to need to bring this to a close for tonight. But uh, I, I just I one of the things watching that movie was just I knew that I was going to enjoy getting to talk to you guys about it. And I wanted to hear what you guys thought at the end. And I wanted to hear what you guys thought about the disturbing stuff in this movie. So uh, the, me, Danny and Chris are going to be talking about Stephen King book revival next time. So, yeah. So thanks yep. so much, guys. And we will see you next time. All right.